are wrapping up a series today called The Family Business. Okay? You guys ready today? You guys ready to get into the Word today? Uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about this message. I love this message, and I'm going to have to be mindful about uh, going 100 miles an hour with us today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dial it back a little bit, but I am passionate about this subject, the church at large, right? The family business. As we get into it, uh, let me go ahead and just, let's just open things up today. He has the respect of numerous law-abiding citizens, as well as the respect of some less than reputable characters of the criminal underworld. Father of a daughter named Fru-Fru. He owns multiple businesses and is considered the most infamous and feared crime boss in Tundra Town. Who is this? His name is Mr. Big. And he resides in the one and only place called Zootopia. One of my favorite Disney movies, might I add. And I love what he has to say about family. If you've ever, if ever seen Mr. Big, if you've ever seen Zootopia, he has that, the mafia voice down, right? And he says, the family, the family you have, that makes you rich. The friends you choose, that makes them family. And with these things, you will never feel small. He's like, uh, what, I don't even know what kind of animal he is. He's like a little weasel, mole, you know? He's like a mole, right? He's tiny. But he's letting us know, right, that, that family is what makes you rich, and your family is ultimately larger even than your blood family. It's who you choose to walk with. And the people that you walk with, that you are in that kind of relationship with, that becomes your family. And if you will hold tight to that, you will have wealth beyond your wildest dreams. Such wisdom from Mr. Big, crime lord mafia boss, okay? The reality is this. Relationships are valuable. No one here would, uh, would contest that. That's a no-brainer. We know that relationships are valuable. You know what else is true? Relationships are tough. Family is tough. Family and relationships are difficult. So as we turn to Mark chapter 1, let's ask God with his infinite grace to meet us here today. Can we do that? Father, be with us as we, as we learn to grow as a family, as a church family. Would you meet us here? Would you help us? Would you speak to us and lead us well? Would you shape us to become more like you, Lord? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our passage for the past several weeks is Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. This is the calling of the first disciples. Let's go. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and did what? Followed Jesus. They followed him. Okay? It's not rocket science. Jesus, who had some reputation already at this time, right? He's not miracle-working Jesus yet. He's not Jesus that has to be crucified for, because the Pharisees are jealous of him yet. But he is Jesus who, who has stepped into the role of rabbi and teacher and probably has a little bit of reputation. And so when Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee and calls these men to follow him, they joyfully leave their nets and their father's business because the rabbi has called them to accompany him, to follow him. This is an honor. This is, this is a, a tremendous gift that's been afforded them. And so they joyfully leave. And what do they leave? They leave like right then, so much so that the hired help has to pick up the slack. Like they leave right then, okay? And one of the things that we see, or three things that we see through this text is that when Jesus calls us, right, he calls us to follow him. And that means that we leave behind any priorities that are not God's priorities. It's not just that we leave behind a life of sin. It's that anything that isn't priority in God's kingdom, that takes the back seat. And we follow him with all we got. But then there is also a call. Jesus looks at these men and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of people. In other words, your life is now going to matter and be significant in ways maybe that you weren't anticipating. And it's going to be one of the greatest gifts that you ever experience is that you, you're not just going to draw fish out of the water and into the boat like you used to do. Now you're going to draw people and you're going to draw them out of darkness into my kingdom and into my light. That's what your life is going to do. And this same call we see going out to all men and women who would put their faith in Jesus, this is the call upon God's people, his church. And then there's one last F word, because we love in Christian world, things have to happen, you know, you, you got to have, you got to have some order here. You've got following, you've got fishing. And then we have one more word here, and that's fellowship. Do you like that? Fellowship, to be in relationship with one another. And the Bible, the text doesn't come out and just specifically say that. But understand that nearly every single thing that you see in the scriptures, when God calls a person, he does not call them alone. He calls them into this thing that we call spiritual family. He calls you into partnership and he calls you into relationship. And when he called James and John and Peter and Andrew, he's calling them together, right? And they're following Jesus together as a people. And then eight more get added and you have the 12 and they're, they're figuring things out. They're sorting it out. And to follow Jesus, it is a call to relationship, to fellowship. And that means that there is inherently going to be some difficulty in figuring it out. The disciples, they fought with one another, didn't they? 
If you're new to church, you may not be familiar with this, but, but the disciples jockeyed for position with Jesus. They jockeyed for, for honor with God, where they were going to sit at the end time. And the, and the political revolution that was coming through the hands of Jesus, they wanted to secure their positioning and their spot. And so they, they were jockeyed for, 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 for spots in the kingdom. And there was, there was angling and frustration, and they got jealous, and they got mad, and there were people being people. Relationships. God's with me. Oh, relationships are valuable, but relationships are tough. Evite did a survey not too long ago. I, I, I forgot the year. I'm not sure what year this is, but in the past several years, Evite, the little digital invitation company that you use to send out all of your birthday invites and party invites, they did a survey of Americans. And the average American, the average American has not made a new friend in five years. Five years. 82% of people that, that, that completed the survey said that lasting relationships were hard to find. 82%. Also, the average American, the average person has 50 acquaintances and 91 social media friends. And we live in a world where we have acquaintances, where we, we kind of know one another, but we don't have real relationship. We struggle with it. It's hard. It's not that it's just cultural. It's, it's emotional. It's physical. It's spiritual. It's all the things. Relationships are hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it isn't worth fighting for. Relationships are worth fighting for. Now, Track with me here. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, I love how the scriptures put it in. Then we're going we're gonna to shift gears here. But look, look what the scriptures call us. Therefore, Paul writes, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The scriptures calls the church a family. Moving on in Ephesians chapter 2, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. What is a household? It's a family, okay? I realize you're kind of getting the Jesus question here. What's the answer? Jesus, family, right? Okay, we get this. The answer is family, spiritual family. But understand this. In our culture, in American culture, many times when we put our faith in Jesus and we talk about the church, we talk about it from a global perspective. As if you have been added to this global family of believers. And that is true. You have been added to the global, worldwide, cosmic family of Christ followers the majority of which you will never know or have relationship with. But understand this, that when God saves your soul and you become a new Christian, it's not just that you've been added to the global church. You are to be added to a local church, a local family of believers. 
It's supposed to function like a real family. The call to discipleship. It's a call to family. And building on what I've already said, if relationships are tough, family is even tougher. You don't need to raise your hand because every hand would be raised. Isn't family tough? Family is tough. Right? The older you get also, the things that you don't even, you didn't see or know when you were a kid because you were just in ignorance. You're like, my family's perfect. Right? And then you get older and you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. That's what you guys were talking about when, you know, dot, 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 encode in front of me and sister and this and that. Like, I didn't know that's what was going on. That's right. Because family, it's a train wreck half the time, right? And you've got to work through it. But just because it's tough doesn't mean it isn't worth fighting for. Spiritual family is also tough and it is also worth fighting for. Call to discipleship is a call to family. When, When Adam and Eve were in the garden... We see the very first sin written in the pages of Scripture and and the serpent comes. Satan comes in the form of a serpent and he draws men and women, Adam and Eve, to to rebellion against God. And so we, we see this relationship, this vertical relationship destroyed as people choose to disobey for the very first time. The second recorded sin that is also a form of rebellion against God. But understand, it isn't just sinning against God. The second recorded sin is man sinning against man. It's Cain and Abel. It's two brothers. The second recorded sin is Satan doing everything he can to do what? To destroy family. You've got two brothers I think of my two youngest, Morgan and Beckett, who are, who are BFFs. They do everything together. I can't fathom the, the, the brotherhood, the covenant that they're called to have as brothers, thicker than thieves. And, and, and yet somehow in the, in the mix with Cain and Abel, Satan wiggles his way in and Cain feels like the best course of action is to murder his brother. And we see the second recorded sin in Scripture is the destruction of family. Satan begins here, and then he immediately begins here. The enemy resists what he considers a threat. And you know what is a tremendous threat to the kingdom of darkness? Spiritual family. When a family functions... Like God's people, when this house exists as the way God intended, hell is kicked in the jaw. And everybody said, amen. Take a look at this, Romans 16, 1 through 5. I'm going to read for you today maybe one of the most boring passages in all the Bible. I know you're excited about it. I was going to read the whole chapter. And Amy was like, don't do that. (laughs) Amy's my wife. She's like, you don't want to do that. People are going to die a thousand deaths listening to you read this. But I want you to hear it. 
I want you to understand what's going on here. I don't mean context. I want you to read Romans chapter 16. I want you to catch Paul's letter to the church in Rome. This is what he says in Romans 16. I'm just going to read five verses for you. Then I'm going to paraphrase the next. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. This, pause for a second, and let's just, let's just address some of the nonsense that women can't lead in church. That has nothing to do with the message, but even as I'm reading this, you need to hear this. This woman is kicking butt and taking names. She's leading at an incredibly high level. She's a deacon in the church. She's crushing it. She's a benefactor of many, and she's one of the people who have benefited Paul personally. And he says to the whole church, hey, greet this woman. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. In other words, this girl is lights out. And I'm making special mention of her by name in my letter to you, church in Rome, Silly stuff we got going on culturally about men and women leading in church. Okay, that was free. <laughs> Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, verse 3. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So the church was meeting at Priscilla and Aquila's house at this time. So you have Phoebe mentioned. Love that. You have Priscilla and Aquila mentioned. You have the church meeting in their house mentioned. And then in verse 6, and this is where, this is where I wanted to read all of it, but I, but I can't. You, you would have been sitting here thinking, oh my gosh. Snore, snooze. I realize it's not riveting. But here's who gets mentioned in the scriptures. Epinetus, Mary, Andronicus, Junia, Ampelatus, Urbanus, my dear friend, Statius, Apelles, house of Aristobulus, Herodian, house of Narcissus, Trithena and Trithosa, Persis, Rufus, Asyncritus, Philegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. And scene, Andy's work on Italian names has now finished. Name by name by name. What, what stands out to you in this moment? What, is, what are we to gain from this? How is this God's word to us today? Here's the deal. Paul is writing a letter, and we see this in multiple letters to the churches. These letters are personal. In other words, people know each other. They have relationship with each other. And Paul is writing and he's literally giving instructions. And he's saying, listen, would you say hi to them? Hey, so-and-so, say hi to so-and-so. In some of the letters, he's literally like, hey, that's my dear friend. 
Or like, man, this person was the first person to come to faith in Asia. I miss them so much. Or literally, hey, could you tell so-and-so to bring my cloak? Literally, in the letters, in, in the gospel letters, in the, in the New Testament letters, we're getting such specific things. And the takeaway for us, church, is that you're not just a part of this cosmic pie-in-the-sky church. You're a part of something local. And that thing is designed for you and I to know each other. Spiritual family provides a place to be known. And when you walk through those front doors, this church should be a place where we know each other's names. And yes, we could sing the Cheers theme song, right? And, and have a great festive time. But I'm not joking when I say it, that it should be a place where your name is remembered and people know you. And you should work to remember somebody else's name. It's a place to be known. You need this in your life. And that's why when church, let's apply this now. If church is to be a place where real family is taking place, where relationship is taking place, well, then this is not a show. This is not a production. This is family experiencing, yes, worship this way and relationship this way. Yes, relationship also this way. Not worship this way. <laughs> but that's why church, church starts at 1030. But when we show up at 1040, what we're really saying without actually saying it is that I'm here for me in this moment, but I'm not building time in for any relationships. In other words, I'm here to get, but I'm not here for family. I'm not here to experience this. I only want this. Give me the word. Give me the worship. I'm going to sneak in and I'm going to sneak out. But that is not God's design for the church. And if the only thing that you get is a once a week moment where you come in, slurp a little word, get a little bit of worship, and then sneak out the door, you're not experiencing the fullness of what God's church is supposed to be experiencing. We're not getting you, and you're not getting us. It doesn't matter if you're serving or not serving. What we do is we show up with the expectation of having meaningful conversation with somebody, with people. We're talking with a little engagement. I realize for some of you as introverts, I'm, this is cringe fest. I, I know that. I have learned that the hard way. I know personalities are different. And that is true. So what I'm saying, I, am, I, I say graciously. I'm not asking you as an introvert to be an extrovert. What I am saying, though, is that if you are called to walk in this house and you are called to walk with this people and this family, then we are called to know each other. And that means when we walk in through those doors, we walk in with the expectation that we're going to engage in some kind of relationship. You don't have to be like Pastor Andy and try to have 47,000 conversations. If you're an introvert, though, maybe you come with the expectation of having one. Can you come with that kind of faith? Can you come with that expectation? 
The answer is yes, introvert or extrovert. And that means we don't roll in during the second song. It means you don't roll in at 10.30 either. It means you roll in with enough time to be able to talk to somebody. It means you're also sticking around afterwards, allowing for a bit of relationship. Why? Because family is a place to be known. You need to be known. We need to know you and you need to know me, us, myself, and Irene, and all the things in between. We need moments, church, where you look at somebody and it's not just, hey, how you doing? I've been in a lot of schools this week, from, from, from elementary schools to middle schools to, to this school. A school kicked back up. You know, and there's people, you know, they're milling around and there's traffic jams with people. And so in our culture, what do we say? Hey, hey you know, hey, how you doing? Right? And you just say, how you doing? It's instinctive. We just say it. How you doing? Good, 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 good. Okay, great. You know, and, and away you go. You don't even know that person and you're asking how they're doing. And they don't even acknowledge it. It's just normal. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Great. You need a moment to get past the facade of how you doing and look somebody in the eyes and ask them, how are you really doing? How are you really doing? How are you holding up? You need somebody to look at you and to know you. We all do. Amen. We, on the first day of school this year, well, we've been doing this for some time. We, we drive our kids to school on the first day and that's kind of just what we do, right? You got the car rider lines and all the things. And my two youngest are in the car. We're on the way to elementary school. The Tuesday school started at, at Fry Elementary. And we love music in our house, right? And, and we love soundtracks in our house. And we love playing music. And we have like a guessing game for music. We just happen to have on, though, the soundtrack to the new Top Gun in our car. Okay? And you know the right? It's a good time. Who doesn't like Top Gun? Right? But the second song, which we weren't anticipating, begins to come on. We didn't hit pause, we forgot to stop it. And it starts off kind of soft and then it kind of ramps up. As we're beginning a conversation, the last two, two minutes or so with my two youngest kids. Amy's leading this conversation. And this is the song that comes on. They're in the back seat. I'm driving, and this comes on. As she's talking, I can't, I can't even remember how it was working out, but she's, she's turned around looking at me. She says, who are you? <laughs> who do you belong to? What's your last name? Say it. King. That's right. Say it again. What's your last name? King. That's right. And I'm like, yeah, turn this up. This is feeling good. She's like, that's right. Who do you belong to? Mom and dad, who else? God, that's right. You belong to God. You belong to God's house. Who are you? I am a king. You are a king. That's right. 
You're a son and you're a daughter in the king's house, not just my house, his house. What do we do in this house? Ms. Amy, what do we do? Are you courageous? Yes, say it. I'm courageous. What are you? I'm kind. Do you love the Lord? Yes. With what? All my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's right you do. Because who are we? We're kings. We're sons and daughters of God in the most high house. That's exactly right. We're pulling into the, you know, the, 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 the car rider line, windows down. I got this blaring. Totally epic moment, and we weren't planning on it. And I look at them. The door opens. The teacher pulls up. This is going. They're fired up now. It's the first day of school. And I looked at all of them, and I said, Autobots, roll out. And they're like, yeah! Backpacks, away we go. We're in God's house. We're kings, we're queens. We're sons and daughters. We're gonna blah, blah, blah. Yeah! And that was it. You can bring it on down. It was a great moment. I say that. That wasn't planned. That just happened. That was free for our kids. But they came out of that car on the first day of school hyped. Okay? It was great. Here's the deal. I'm kind of missing it now, aren't you? Like, I felt good having that. I'm like, yeah, it feels real good. Here's the thing about spiritual family. That was the literal family. But there comes a moment and a time when family needs to remind you of who you actually are. You need to be reminded of who you are, who God has called you to be, and what God has called you to do. Spiritual family does that. And I want you to hear this. I, I realize we laugh about that, that the moment in the car, and it is funny, and yet there is some truth to it. Like there was something about it that just felt good and it felt right. Why? Because you're being reminded of who God has actually made you to be. And we need people who know us, who can also remind us of who God has made you to be. I have some janky days. Right? I've got some bad attitude moments. I've got some times where I feel tired. And you know what? It is helpful for me, for someone like Gerald or Jason or, or a friend to look at me and say, Hey, you doing okay? You seem a bit tired. You know what? God says this. Or, Andy, you seemed a little sharp right there. Can I... Can I share this with you or can I encourage you with this? And it serves as a reminder for me of who God has called me to be and who God has made me to be. It's helpful for us to have people in our lives calling us up to something greater. There's so much negativity that exists in this world. There's so much garbage and there's so much trash. To have somebody look you in the eyes and say, God's called you to something greater. He's called you to something better. Who are you? Who do you belong to? You're a son and daughter in God's house. 
And you may not say it that way. You may not have, you know, song two from Top Gun playing at the coffee shop as you're talking to somebody. But understand, you need moments. And family is designed to have them where we call greatness out of each other. You need it. Our culture needs it. Our community needs it. And our church needs it. You guys with me today? Is that making sense? Whew, gets toasty up here. Spiritual family provides a place to be known. Spiritual family reminds you of who you are and who you belong to. Spiritual family, it also provides purpose for your life. I want you to track with, with me on this. Uh, lock in as we kind of begin to land the plane a little bit in the message today. But spiritual family provides a, a measure of purpose in your life that you can't get in other places. I remember distinctly growing up in my house. My parents would, would get to church early. In fact, my dad would, would, we would stop off at the gas station many times. And my dad had, you know, the, the Bible satchels, you know, like the zip, before there, were, before there was an electronic Bible, you had your big juggernaut Bible. And a lot of people, you, the truly committed ones, right, had the zipper, you know, like the zipper leather deal that went around the Bible, right? Some of you, you might have one here today. God bless you. Right? It literally had a handle on it, like a satchel. And he would go to, to Texaco. And they had these Jolly Rancher suckers, which are the best suckers. And he'd unzip that Bible and just buy all the suckers they, could, they had. And he'd stuff it in his Bible. Now, I realize this can sound a little bit dirty and weird and perverted, like the guy at church is offering candy to children, right? Like, but understand, bear with me, my dad had this reputation, and the kids loved him in the same way that we had donuts before service uh, for some of, the, some of you middle schoolers and high schoolers and kids, and you guys loved it, right? You would have loved my dad because he always had Jolly Rancher suckers, and we got to church early, Right For the sake of other parents that were there and relationship with other families that were there. We were always there early. Always. And guess what? We were the last family to leave. Almost every Sunday. And I'm not mad about it. At 43 years old. There were Sundays where I was so bored. There were Sundays where I was reading a book in the car. There were Sundays where I had a ball and I was throwing it in the parking lot with my friends. But nevertheless, what my parents did, whether I had a great attitude or a bad attitude in that moment, was they reminded me that there was a purpose for this family coming together. And God had called us to be not just people who received, but we were people called to be a blessing. And because we're called to be a blessing to others, let's show up a little bit early in time for some relationship and conversation, time for maybe prayer or, or this or that or a little bit of coffee. And by the way, let's stick around afterwards so that we can talk to that new person or that guest or that person that's maybe going through a little bit of a difficult time. How will we ever know what they're going through if we don't take the time to know them, to see them, to exist in relationship with them? Yeah. 
And it served as a lightning rod and purpose for my family. I didn't have an option. I didn't have a choice. It wasn't about feeling. Feeling didn't come before the purpose for which God had called us. If feelings led the way, I want you to hear this. We would have rarely gotten to church. If feelings led the way, we would certainly not have gotten there before church started. Because why? Because you're tired. Everyone's tired. Everyone is tired, whether you got kids or not. We all say the same thing. How you doing this week? Whew, been long, long week. I'm tired. Yeah, we're all tired. But feelings don't get to lead the way. What does faith and purpose? And so we show up youth group. It was not an option, right? Moms and dads, one of the greatest things you can give your children is no options on some things, <laughs> right? And when it comes to some of these things, we didn't treat church and ministry in the purpose for which God had called us. It wasn't like an extracurricular activity where we were like, hmm, why don't you go ahead and try this out and see if you like it. And if you, if you like it, well, then we'll keep doing it. But if you don't, no problem at all. Last thing I'd want to do is push faith on you. Wrong. You absolutely want to. You want to sow that seed of faith in grace, graciously, not beating anybody over the head, but you, we, I, there was no option. You're going to do this, Andy, because your spiritual growth is as important or more than any other kind of growth that you're going to experience. This is what family does. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we do. It's who we are. And this is what John says in chapter 13 as I close. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He uses the word must. It's not an option. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, people who are on the outside looking in will see the manner in which this family relates to each other. Not just love, this universal kind of cosmic love. No, the love we have for each other in this room, in this church, it will speak volumes and it will tell the story of Christ without them even knowing it. They will see it. They will experience it. They will taste it. They will know that there's something different. They will know that you are my disciples. How? By the manner in which you love one another. Stand to your feet. By the way, this has implications in every aspect of your existence in this house. See, when you understand that this is a family and not a show, when you understand that we have purpose, right, not just production, that changes how you give, 
right? When you're a part of the family, guess what? You've got, you've got responsibilities, just like my children have responsibilities in our house, and they don't get to, I, this is what I did with my dad. I let my dad know when I was about 12 years old that I, I no longer was doing the trash cans. <laughs> I let him know I graduated from that. He's like, why are the trash cans still at the mailbox? I said, oh, I don't do that anymore. He said, yes, you do. Get out there and do it. Now. I'm like, okay, yes, Dad. This is what you do, Andy, when you're a part of this house and part of this family. What is it that we learn to do? We serve. We sacrifice. We give. Right? We don't just show up and, 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 and receive. We engage and we participate and we lay our lives down for each other and for the sake of another. We, we participate in this. It is not a production and it is not a show. It's a family. And it's what God has called us to. And so we get to give. We get to serve. We get to show up. We get to be known. We get to know others. We get to be intentional about remembering people's names. We get to be thoughtful and we get to be kind and we get to be courageous and we get to pray for one another and seek the blessing of God in each other's lives. We get to do these things as a family. So let's do it. Show up, stick around, and give it everything you got. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that the family business, Lord, the call to follow, the call to fish, the call to fellowship, Lord, it's a call that you have given us as well, and we joyfully accept it. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity Lord, to, to love one another and for that love to be a witness to the world. Let it be so, God. Let it be a testament here in Kennesaw Elementary School. Let it be a testament at High Point Kids. Let it be a testament to our community and to those sitting and standing here today. Let it testify, Lord, to your greatness and your good, your good nature. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.